What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow our uh, social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. want to uh, extend a thank you to Kyle Belanger, came on uh, to guest Friday last week, had a great conversation about fantasy football. Um, all, all sorts of things, fantasy football. So that was a, a very exciting conversation that we had. Um, me, myself, I did have a fantasy trap last night. I have a couple coming up this weekend. It's always a exciting time for uh, people to play fantasy football. Uh, I'll be honest, that's an episode I've always wanted to do. So uh, it was really fun. Kyle's a very knowledgeable guy. So it was a great conversation. Uh, this week's Guest Friday, as you may have noticed, I teased a little bit on the uh, social pages that uh, I'm going to get a uh, special uh, hockey-themed guest this week, and uh, some of you uh, diehard Bruins fans may, uh, may, may remember this person, so I'm excited to get that out to you folks um, on Friday. So, um, yeah, there's some Bruins stuff that we'll get to uh, later in the podcast, but today it's... Uh, probably going to be a lot of Patriots stuff with the uh, preseason coming to an end uh, for all NFL teams this weekend. So uh, we finally get an idea, a little bit more of an idea of, you know, what this Patriots team is going to look like. You know, I think that clearly there have been ups and downs in the whole, you know, training camp and preseason. Obviously, there's still going to be practices going on, um, you know, as the cut day or cut down day looms which is uh, tomorrow at four o'clock um, but there will be practices this week um, and you know really up until the uh, season opener against Miami on the 11th so you know we have training camp kind of all but over preseason over and you know now we kind of get to see a closer look at you know here what the 2022 Patriots you know, here or what they're going to look like. So I think definitely there were definitely some some good things and bad things that happened in training camp in the preseason. I think, you know, as, as I've said multiple times this summer, you know, I think it's always important with, tra- with training camp to not get, you know, too excited either way. You know, I think that not to get too overhyped about certain guys or certain things, but also not to get you know, too negative about certain things, because I think you have to remember that this is a team that is going through some changes in the coaching staff and, you know, going through some changes in what they're trying to do, I think specifically on, on the offensive side. And I think that, you know, clearly, anytime you try something new, there are going to be growing pains. And that's not just football, that's not just sports, that's just life in general. So it's like, you know, anyone pretending, anyone acting like you know, this offense was going to be humming the, the the second day of padded practices. I mean, you're kidding yourself. So, you know, clearly there's still things that have to be worked through. You know, I think that the offensive line is probably the biggest, you know, concern, question mark, whatever, whatever you want to say, um, because they think that they are doing some different things, um, you know, working in a different, a different scheme. You know, guys have certain assignments, and I think that you know, that's kind of the thing that I think if the Patriot or when the Patriots correct it, um, that 
most of the offense is going to figure itself out. You know, we've we've seen flashes from the offense in, you know, training camp sessions in some preseason games that, you know, they want to play quicker. They want to spread the ball around. They want to take some shots down the field. You know, we've seen that in a couple of preseason games. So, you know, I think hopefully the offensive line that can get figured out and, you know, they can protect Mac Jones well enough and it can run block and, you know, do the things that a good offensive line can do. Um, because I think, honestly, that's, it's kind of a make or break thing. You know, I think that if the offensive line can come together and be a good group, this offense has a very good chance to be, you know, kind of one of the top half offenses in the league. I'm not saying that they're going to be a top 10 offense, but I think as long as you are, you know, better than the majority of the teams in the league, you know, you're fine. So that's kind of the biggest thing that I think this team has, you know, some question marks with, you know, I think that clearly the offense had its issues in Vegas, but I think that, you know, a lot of that was due to the offensive line and due to, you know, Mac Jones not really being protected necessarily great the entire time. Um, you know, obviously had a bad interception, was sacked a couple of times, but it's like, that's going to happen. You know, clearly when you have a, you know, young second year quarterback, he's still going to make mistakes, you know, and look, every quarterback in the league makes mistakes. You know, it's not to say that it's, it's not to say that anyone expects Mac Jones to not throw any interceptions. It's not like people expect him to not throw any bad interceptions because it's like, look, it's going to happen. You know, I think that if you watch that play, yeah, I threw it right to the Raiders player and you know, bad interceptions, bad plays are going to happen. You know, it's sports. You know, not everything is going to go smoothly. Not everything is going to go perfectly. Um, I did kind of like, though, what they did on a couple of drives on offense, you know, spreading the ball around, getting some good gains. You know, I was really annoyed that that touchdown to Devontae Parker got taken off the board. Um, I think I just thought that the pass interference was a pretty terrible call. So, you know, me personally... I kind of figured that that's a touchdown. You know, I really don't care if it's a it's a bad call or anything. Like, to me, that's a touchdown. So um, I thought that, you know, after the interception, the offense seemed to figure things out a little bit. You know, Mac Jones, I think, played a little bit more than he did in the second game. You know, he was, I think, 9 or 10 of 14 for 71 yards. So, you know, clearly still some things to work on, but I think, if they can get the offensive line, you know, I think the issues that they're having are fixable. And I think that, you know, once they go look at tape, you know, the game plan for the Dolphins, and they kind of clean some things out in practice, once they, you know, figure out what the roster is going to look like, then I think you're going to see this offense take some steps. Um, but it's going to obviously be curious to see, you know, how things look in that first game in Miami. You know, it's not it is definitely not the most ideal the most ideal place to play uh, for your first week. Patriots have you know historically had issues down there in Miami, but you know I think that it's a good test. You know it's a good test to see where this team is at from an offensive standpoint. You know I think that in the early going of the season you want to keep turnovers down, and I think that that's going to be key with the Patriots going up against some pretty decent defenses in the first couple weeks of the season. You know, the Dolphins, 
they're not necessarily a great defense, but they always seem to give the Patriots issues. You know, the Steelers have a lot of talent on defense. You even look at a team like Baltimore. They have some playmakers on defense, too. You know, Green Bay, they're probably going to be one of the best defensive teams. So it'll be interesting to see how this offense can, you know, match up against some of the better defenses in the league that they're going to see um, in the first four weeks. And I think, you know, yeah, it'll be tough, but I think it'll be a good test. You know, really get kind of get to see what this offense can look like and, you know, see if the the new type of system that they're running, you know, works. You know, I think that I'm kind of excited to see in offense and, you know, how it works without Josh McDaniels. And, you know, clearly I think that the offense that he ran had its positives, but I also think that at times it kind of was, I don't want to say too complex, um, but I do feel like what they're doing now is a little bit more streamlined. It's a little more, you know, easy to understand. Guys can get involved. Um, so, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, one of kind of the big negatives of that Vegas game was uh, Ty Montgomery having to leave the game with an injury. You know, the Patriots are already kind of thin at the running back position, and, you know, an injury to him is going to make things even more they're going to make that running back room even more thin than it already is. So, you know, fingers crossed that it's not too serious. You know, I think based on uh, some comments that Bill Belichick made this morning, it doesn't appear to be that it's, you know, a season-ending injury. You know, Belichick made it sound like he seems to be doing okay and, you know, may even practice this week. You know, they'll see what he can do. But, you know, to me, that tells me that, okay, this is not a season-ending injury. This is not you know, a serious injury that, you know, maybe there's a chance that he'll actually be all right and maybe can practice this week and maybe he'll be on the 53-man uh, roster to start the season, which the Patriots will cut down to, to 53 tomorrow. I think they're currently around, you know, 80 players. So there are going to be a good portion of guys that get cut. But I think if Montgomery's healthy and can practice this week, you know, then I think there's a very good chance that he makes the roster because the Patriots do need, you know, a type of pass-catching running back. And he's also a guy that has, you know, a Cordero Patterson type of skill set, you know, that he's a guy that can be used as a running back, but can also, you know, line up in a bunch of different positions. So, you know, hopefully he's healthy by the time the season starts. Be curious to see uh, what he can do. So, as we've kind of talked about the offense mostly for the first couple minutes, um, I think it makes sense to uh, take a look at what I believe the Patriots roster uh, will look like at, you know, 4 p.m. tomorrow after they make, you know, all the roster cuts. There definitely are going to be some, you know, moves that happen. Um, you know, Tyquan Thornton most likely starting the season on um I don't know if it's injured reserve, but it's something like that where, you know, he can have the ability to come back after a certain amount of time um, because he is going to miss six to eight weeks with a broken collarbone. So there is a chance that he could come back on the roster, but I think I'm not putting him on the roster because I don't think he's making the roster. But I do think, you know, once he's healthy and ready to play, they'll bring him on the roster and then, you know, have to make a tough decision to cut someone. So that is a caveat that I wanted to make clear before I give all these projections. Um, and also I'm making this projection with the idea that Ty Montgomery is healthy and makes the roster. So 
Um, those are two things I wanted to make clear. There are a couple of other guys that I think are, I think there's one player, I think it's Daniel Equale, who's a defensive lineman, um, has a like two-game suspension at the moment, um, but I think does not count against the the roster. So he might be on the roster. I think that that covers it. Those are three guys where it's like, okay, it might be a little unclear. Um, but I think we'll uh, take a stab at this uh, 53-man roster. It's the first time I've done something like this. So hopefully we uh, get most of these right. Um, I think at quarterback, you know, there's not really any surprises. Mac Jones, Brian Hoyer, Bailey Zappi. You know, I think that the Patriots will carry three. You know, I think really not thinking that Hoyer or Zappi is going to play at all this season, you know, unless there's a uh, uh, legit... <laughs> I can't believe I said that. Uh, un unless there's like a big catastrophe, you know, Mac Jones get, gets hurt and they have to play uh, Brian Hoyer. I don't think that that's going to be the case. You know, I would be surprised if either of these guys you know, gets any time this season unless there's an injury or unless the Patriots, you know, blow the doors off of everyone this season and they rest Mac Jones in like the last game of the season. Um, so I think it makes sense that all three of those guys are there. Patriots carried two guys on the roster last season. I think Jared Stidham was um, on injured reserve for most of the season. So I don't think it's a problem to carry three quarterbacks. You know, I think it makes sense, you know, Hoyer can be kind of the older veteran mentor to both young quarterbacks. Um, you know, Zappi played a good portion of the preseason, and I thought at times looked looked all right, and I think that it's going to be good for him to learn from Mac Jones and learn from Brian Hoyer. So I like those three to make the roster. And then running back, this is, you know, the first position where things are a little interesting. So Damian Harris... Ramondre Stevenson, you know, clearly both of those guys are going to be making the roster. Um, Ty Montgomery, I have him on the roster, I think, assuming that this injury that he suffered is not serious and he makes the roster. Um, I think that J.J. Taylor makes the roster, and I think Pierre Strong Jr. also makes the roster. I think Kevin Harris, despite playing pretty well in Vegas, I don't think he makes the 53 roster um, or the, the initial roster, but I do think there's a very good chance um, that he ends up on the practice squad. Um, so that's kind of what I think for running back. For tight end, um, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, I think it's just those two. Um, I think Devin Asiasi, you know, didn't play in the game on Friday, which was kind of a surprise for me um, because I thought in the Carolina game he had a couple good receptions. Um, but, yeah, I think that's kind of telling for me if, he didn't play in the final preseason game. He's a guy that, you know, really needed to get on the field. So I don't think he's making the roster. I think Patriots have Henry and Smith and Asiasi potentially um, finds a spot on the practice squad. Uh, wide receiver, you know, I didn't put Thornton on the roster for obvious reasons with him, you know, having to miss some time to start the season. But I do think the Patriots carry five receivers into the season. Um, Aguilar, Bourne, Myers, and Parker. I think those are your top four. Uh, Lil Jordan Humphrey, I think he makes the roster. He's been really strong um, as a receiver and also as a, a special teams guy in the preseason. So I think that he makes the roster. I think the Patriots carry five receivers. I think that 
um, outside looking in, you know, Wilkerson, Trey Nixon. Um, I think that Trey Nixon probably ends up on the practice squad. Um, not really sure about Wilkerson. He suffered a head injury during the uh, joint practices with the Panthers. Um, so it doesn't seem like he's going to factor in. Um, and then Thornton, I imagine he'll get added onto the roster um, as soon as he's healthy and ready to play. Um, now we'll take a look at the offensive line. That's kind of the big position that I think is uh, going to create some debates, which I think will be good. Uh, me personally, I have the Patriots carrying eight offensive linemen. I think they've seen some projections that have them carrying seven. Um, I do think there's a good I, there's a good chance that there are, you know, two or three linemen that end up on the practice squad. So I think typically practice squads are 12 to 15 players. Um, I'm hoping that I have that right. I think it's 15 is the 15 or 16, I think is the number. So I think the starting five, um, Brown or uh, Trent Brown, Cole Strain, David Andrews, uh, Michael Wenu and um, Isaiah Wynn. I think all five of those guys are locks for the roster. And then for the other three, I think it made sense for the Patriots to have uh, two interior guys and then one outside guy. Uh, Yadni Kajust has had a pretty good uh, preseason and training camp recently. Bill Belichick, I think, likes him. So I think that I could see him as a, a backup tackle the Patriots uh, put on the roster. And then it's two interior guys. Uh, Cody Russi has been really impressive. He's been an undrafted free agent. He's been really good um, in training camp and preseason. So I think he snags a spot. And I think James Ferentz um, also gets a spot as well. He's been an interior guy that's been with the Patriots for a few years. So I like uh, those three guys to make the roster. So I think that there's a possibility the Patriots maybe carry a couple guys on the practice squad. Uh, Justin Haran probably is is a name that I could see them carrying. Um, then, looking on the defensive side, uh, for defensive line, I have Dietrich Wise Jr., uh, Devon Godshaw, Christian Barmore, Lawrence Guy, um, and LeBrian Ray, another undrafted free agent that has uh, made a name for himself uh, in training camp in the preseason. I think that um, he's played well enough that I think he pushes um, Henry Anderson um, off the roster. So, um, I think he's a guy that the Patriots like, you know, out of Alabama, had a lot of injuries throughout his college career, but I think that they've liked what they've seen from him so far. So I think the Patriots will be carrying five uh, defensive linemen. They'll probably carry a couple on the uh, practice squad as well. And now we get into the interesting spots. Uh, linebacker, I think, was the most uh, like contentious position battle uh, this summer. So Matt Judon, Juwan Bentley, Josh Uche, Anthony Jennings, I think all three of those guys, or all four of those guys, I should say, um, are locks for the roster. I think Mac Wilson is also a lock as well. Um, I had the Patriots carrying Demarcus Mitchell, uh, who's been pretty solid on special teams, um, and he's looked pretty decent on defense as well. Um, and then I also have them carrying Raekwon McMillan. That might not be, or that might be, I don't want to say controversial, but um, I think some people may not have him on the roster. I think that, you know, it makes sense to have him. He's a guy that lost the entire season last year to, uh, due to a torn ACL. Um, and I think he just will help give them another kind of interior lineman or interior linebacker um, that can help, you know, stop the run and also can 
rush the passer as well. So I think I have the Patriots carrying seven linebackers here. Uh, cornerback, this is going to be very interesting. I think that, you know, obviously not ideal having the injuries to Malcolm Butler and Jawan Williams, uh, but I do think that uh, Jack Jones has had a really good uh, training camp in preseason. I think he's been their most impactful rookie. Um, so I think clearly he's going to make the roster. Jalen Mills, Jonathan Jones, Marcus Jones, I think also makes it. Um, and I think Sean Wade makes it too. I think that uh, he's had a little bit of some injury issues in the preseason and training camp, but I liked what I saw from him, um, specifically in the Carolina game. So I think he makes the roster. I think there's a good chance maybe he doesn't. He's kind of a roster bubble type of guy, but I do think he does make the roster. Um, then at safety, this is where I think the Patriots are the, are the, are the deepest. Uh, Adrian Phillips, Devin McCourty, Kyle Duggar, you know, Jabril Peppers, uh, Josh Bledsoe, I think makes the team as well. Um, he's had a really good camp. Um, and I think Miles Bryant also makes the team. He's the guy that I think has made the switch from cornerback to safety, but obviously he's a guy that has some good cover skills. So, you know, really excited about that safety group. Now it leaves us with uh, seven spots. You know, now we're looking at special teams. Nick Folk, uh, Jake Bailey, Joe Cardona. I think all three of those guys are locks to make the roster. And then you got um, a couple of other guys I put in here, Cody Davis, Matt Slater, Justin Bethel, and uh, Brendan Schooler. Uh, Bruins, or Bruins. Uh, the Patriots have really liked what they've seen from Schooler. He's another undrafted uh, free agent, so I think that he uh, makes the team. Justin Bethel, as I said, I think he also makes it. Um, so that's my 53 right now. I think that there could be some changes if there are injuries or, you know, Jelani Tavai, I think, is a linebacker that he could make the roster. Um, over a Raekwon McMillan, perhaps. Um, Devin Asiasi, maybe he's on the roster. Um, and then I wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's another offensive lineman that the Patriots uh, put on their roster. So, you know, definitely some moving parts, but that's, to me, what I think is going to be the best 53 roster uh, for the Patriots to open the year. So, uh, now... You know, we talked a little bit about what this early part of the season might look like, um, but I think I'm confident with their defense. I think that it's a group that's going to be a lot faster and more versatile, and I think that playing a team like Miami that is, you know, pretty known for having some having some speedy guys in terms of their receivers, uh, the Patriots are going to be better equipped to uh, match up against a team like that, and I think they're better equipped uh, to deal with the Lamar Jackson and the Ravens as well, so... I'm curious to see how the defense does against those particular teams. Um, then obviously week four, they got to go up against Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, we'll kind of get to see what this, what this defense can do um, early on as they'll face some tough tests um, as well as the offense. So I do really think, though, that their cornerbacks uh, are going to have a, a good season. I think that there's maybe some concern that Jalen Mills isn't exactly a number one Um the Patriots have been uh, phasing Jonathan Jones um, on the outside recently, so he's not playing in the slot anymore. Um, so that's kind of an interesting development. I think that he definitely has the skills to be an outside guy. I think he played some on the outside when he was at Auburn. So he's a guy that you know has versatility uh, to play in the slot, play out wide. You know, it's going to be interesting to see 
if you see him matched up on Tyreek Hill uh, week one, and then if it's Jalen Mills on uh, Jalen Waddle uh, for the Dolphins. So that will be very interesting. You know, I think definitely the the pass rush is going to have to be, other than Matt Judon, there's going to have to be someone else that is a good pass rusher on the other side. So Josh Ujay, Anthony Jennings, Raquan McMillan. I mean, I think those are a couple guys that the Patriots really want to see improvement from because they think if it's just Matt Judon, you know, you're really not going to be able to, you're not going to be able to lean on one guy the entire year. And obviously that was evident late in the year as Judon, you know, kind of slowed down a little bit, but it's like the Patriots really had no one else that could consistently rush the passer. So they really need some guys to be able to do that consistently. I don't really have any concerns about their defensive line. You know, I think Godshaw is going to have a good year. Barmore, I think, is going to be, is probably has the best chance or has a good chance of being their best defensive player this season. So I think that they're really set up there. But, you know, as I said, some really interesting matchups the first couple of weeks. Um, And hopefully the Patriots can come out of the gate a little bit better than they did last season, you know, starting the year one and three. I think that it's not unreasonable to think that this team starts the year two and two, you know, three and one. I don't think it's out of the question either, but, you know, I think that this is a team that typically catches their stride later on in the season. This is not a team that usually starts the year, you know, three and one or four and oh. You know, this is a team that usually it takes a bit to get their legs under them. And I know that, you know, it's going to be very easy for people in this town to start freaking out, especially if they lose the first game. But, you know, we've learned over the years that the first game really doesn't mean anything here. So, um, but hopefully it's a better start. Hopefully they can get um, a big road win in Miami to open the year. So, That's going to do it for the Patriots. Obviously, we'll have even more Patriots stuff to talk about next week as the roster will be finalized. Um, And then we'll be doing a uh, Patriots season preview uh, for Guest Friday next week. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, So now we're going to take a look at the Red Sox, get to a little bit of baseball and... uh, yeah, it's kind of uh, more more of the same with the with the local team. Unfortunately, the Red Sox uh, dropping all three games to the Toronto Blue Jays, and then the Red Sox uh, took two out of three from Tampa Bay, but then got crushed yesterday in the final game of the uh, homestand. So Red Sox go two and four. You know, I said this pretty clearly last week that if they're going to have any chance of going to the playoffs, they're going to need five wins at least on this homestand and they didn't really come close so you know no really didn't yield any results Red Sox lost a couple of extra inning games uh, to Toronto unfortunately so you know I think it's just going to be it's you know when I said this a couple times it's going to be what it's going to be you know this is not a playoff team this is a team that's a middling 500 team that you know I think at this point is going to be lucky to finish the season above 500 so you know I think it's just we'll see how some of the guys play as they come off injury you know Trevor Story's back Jaron Duran sent down uh, to Worcester you know it's good to see Story back I think he's played pretty well uh, since coming off the injured list but you know I think as 
we said last week, I think it's just too little too late, I think, with guys coming back from injury. And, you know, clearly the offense still having issues, hitting with guys on base, you know, nothing is more evident than, you know, losing a game 12 to 4, but then you have 13 hits. The Red Sox had 13 hits yesterday. And that pretty much just tells the story that this is a team that is capable of getting hits, but hitting with guys on base and guys and runners and with hitting with guys on base and hitting with guys and runner hitting with runners in scoring position, you know, has really been a consistent issue for them all year. Um, you know, I think at times they've been able to do it well, but it's like, it just seems like the offense specifically, like the, the home runs are way down for a lot of guys in this roster. And, you know, this is a team that I think we all thought that, okay, the offense is going to carry them again this year. And the offense really hasn't been good enough. And, you know, the pitching has run into to injuries and just bad, just straight up bad pitching, you know. Nick Pavetta really is the only starting pitcher that's been fairly consistent the whole year. You know, Evaldi's not been healthy. Um, it really just seems like it's all come apart that, you know, injuries, bad bullpen. The Red Sox really didn't seem to address the bullpen this year, which was very strange. Uh, so, you know, I really don't know what's going on there, but I do think that there's a great chance that uh, the bullpen gets totally overhauled this summer. Uh, the Red Sox DFA'd Austin Davis and uh, Sawamura yesterday, so it could become like a big exodus for guys out of the bullpen. So, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. I think that this is a team that really is not going to be doing anything in terms of going to the playoffs. So it really just becomes, okay, how do some guys come off injury? You know, what do they think about certain guys in the organization? You know, I think that Clearly, Duran's a guy that's been, unfortunately, been kind of a lightning rod this season for, for criticism. So I'm very curious as to, you know, what the future is with, with, with him. And I think that it's fair to criticize him, absolutely. You know, he's, he's kind of made a spectacle of himself a couple of times completely unnecessarily. You know, he said some things. He's you know, refuse to get vaccinated and I think has become kind of a, it's again, kind of become a lightning rod. And, you know, clearly there's been moments where the effort's not been there, you know, nothing more clearly than the, you know, not running after the inside the park home run a couple weeks ago. You know, I think it just, it's all come apart for him. He's not been a good offensive player. You know, clearly he has a lot of limitations defensively and I just, I'm just not really sure, you know, what's going to be next for him if the Red Sox do believe in him and do they give him another chance. And, you know, Cora's always a, I think has been a great manager and is always a guy that's able to get the most out of a lot of guys. But, you know, I think that at this point is Duran a lost cause. You know, I think that the team has to start considering that. But, you know, who knows? This has really been kind of his first extended stint in the major leagues, you know, and I know he's 26 years old, but, you know, he's not really had a, a big, long stint in the majors before. So, you know, maybe there's some hope that, okay, he can turn it around, but, you know, it'll be curious to watch kind of his, or his rest of the season, if he makes another trip up to Boston or is he in Worcester the rest of the year, 
Um, and then, you know, do the Red Sox think about trading him? You know, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, I think that this is a team that I mentioned that the bullpen's probably going to have a big overhaul. I also think that parts of the team are going to be overhauled as well. You know, I think the Red Sox are a team that are in a position where they're kind of at a crossroads and they have to kind of decide, okay, who are guys that are going to be the future of the team? You know, and I think that it shouldn't come as a shock to people that the Red Sox aren't bringing back J.D. Martinez, you know, and I think his contract is, has run its course. Clearly, the, the season that he had has not been good, really, by any standards. And so I think, you know, he's a guy who's, his time with the Red Sox is probably over. You know, the power numbers have been way down. His batting average, you know, he's hitting 275. He's not hit that low since his third year in the majors. So, you know, he's a guy that I think the age maybe is catching up to him a little bit. Um, but I think clearly when you look at what he's done with the Red Sox, you know, some of the great seasons he's had, the Red Sox are going to have to replace that. So, you know, what do they look at in terms of the offseason? Do they try to go out and sign someone like a big name that can fill a J.D. Martinez type role with the offense? You know, not necessarily saying that they need a designated hitter, but I think getting someone who can replace some of his production when he's been at his best. Um, but yeah, I don't think he's back. You know, you look at some of the free agents that are going to be um, on the board this winter. You know, Nolan Arenado's got a player option. You know, Aaron Judge is probably going to be the big name that's going to be um, available. I mean, Jose Abreu's also there. He's on the older side. Michael Brantley, too. You know, those are just some names that could be available for the Red Sox in terms of some guys that could perform offensively, but I think, you know, they, and who knows, I don't know if it's just kind of a one-year thing that they've just had trouble hitting with guys on base, um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see what they think about in the offseason, and, you know, clearly there's been a bit of a change in terms of how they've been, you know, signing talent, you know, not really giving huge big money contracts to guys. I mean, obviously they did give money to Story, and I do think that he had a good season, you know, despite missing a good portion of the season and, you know, not hitting at for a great average. But I do think that he's been pretty good when he's been in the lineup. So, you know, do the Red Sox try to build around someone like that? Do they try to add to what they already have? You know, I think that it's going to be an off season that you're going to see a lot of changes and, you know, hopefully the Red Sox can come to terms with Raphael Devers, get him signed uh, for a long-term deal. But J.D. Martinez is not a guy that I'm expecting to be back. You know, the Bogarts is kind of a big question too. You know, I know that he does mean a lot to the organization and he's done a lot here. You know, he's won two, won two world championships He's made a number of all-star teams, uh, but he's another guy who, like, his his power numbers have gone way down this year. You know, 11 home runs is the fewest that he's hit in a full season since 2017, you know, and for some reason, just the numbers are down, and clearly, clearly, look, the batting average is right where it normally is, you know, hitting 303, but there's not a lot of extra base hits. You know, a lot of his hits are going to are 
or singles and you know clearly with the 11 home runs 54 RBIs you know the numbers are way down you know Trevor Story has played 40 fewer games than Bogarts and has more home runs and RBIs you know clearly the batting average isn't there but it's like that should tell you right there that there may be I mean I kind of want to use the word decline not that strong or not as strongly because I don't know if it's a decline necessarily but it's like you look at a guy who's 29, he had 23 home runs last year. You know, he is 11 this year. Maybe he doesn't even, maybe he gets to a little bit over half of what he did last year. But it's like, you know, who knows? Are we seeing a, are we seeing a bit of a decline? Is that, you know, part of the reason why the Red Sox maybe aren't looking to sign him long term? You know, as he is. Um, and opt out this winter, you know, be curious to see if he uses it. Um, and if he does, you know, what do the Red Sox think? Do they think that they can move Story to shortstop and feel like they're okay? I mean, that's going to be a huge risk. You know, I think that you have to think about Bogarts and, and Martinez and, you know, what they've done for your team over the last few years. You maybe take out this year, but it's like that's a lot of production that you are going to have to replace you know, if you decide to move on from both of these guys and, you know, if, if hopefully Devers is part of the equation to help that, but clearly they're going to need some other big bats to help, you know, alleviate some of this pressure because clearly this was an offense that I think relied too heavily on Martinez and Bogarts. And, you know, as a result, their numbers have kind of been down because they're being relied upon to be the two of the, you know, big bats. And I think, you know, the whole team has kind of suffered with losing a guy like Hunter Renfro and, you know, not really much of a, there really didn't seem to be much of a thought in replacing him. And, you know, the, the, the platoon at first base with Cordero and uh, Bobby Dalbeck has been a disaster. You know, I think Hosmer has been decent there, but it's like, he's not a long-term replacement there. You know, Tristan Casas is kind of the the guy that the Red Sox expect to kind of be that starting first baseman maybe as soon as next year. So <clears throat> it's going to be interesting to see what they expect from him. He's another guy that I think you could see them, you could see the Red Sox giving him an opportunity down the stretch, you know, as they are kind of out of it in terms of playoffs. So, you know, Cassis could get an opportunity uh, Brian Bayo is definitely going to be getting some opportunities um, as we kind of shift more towards uh, some of the prospects that will get some time this season um, or with the time remaining in the season. I think that uh, Bayo obviously has had his struggles with some of the starts he's had, but he seemed to pitch a lot better in his last outing against Toronto, only gave up two runs and six hits. Um, he does pitch tonight against Minnesota. So I think he's a guy that the Red Sox would be watching uh, to see maybe what progress he can put together uh, the rest of the season. So, you know, that's really all the Red Sox have to be, I don't, I don't want to say like excited for, but it's like, that's kind of the only, the only thing to watch the rest of the year is, you know, how do some of these young, young players pitch? You know, how does Cutter Crawford how does he do the rest of the season? You know, does Cassis get called up? Is there other, some other guys that maybe get called up? You know, I think that's kind of the reason to 
maybe watch this team to continue to watch this team. I mean, I think you have to have the right expectation when you're watching this team. You know, if you have the expectation that this team should be a playoff team, yes, obviously, you're going to have a hard time watching the team. And, you know, that's kind of where I get upset with people, the way that, like, they tweet about, oh, how bad it is. And it's like, well, well, yeah, it's bad, but it's like, if you have the expectation that things should be so much better, then yes, of course, you're going to have a bad time. But it's like, you know, and no, you don't have to watch the team, but it's like, they're going to continue to play games. It's not like they're just going to stop playing games. You know, there's there there's a reason to continue to play games. You know, that's the reason why you go out and play 162. You're not always going to be in, in playoff contention, you know. So it'll be interesting to see some of the young guys, what opportunities they can get, um, how they do with the opportunities, because they think this is an organization that I think is really potentially going to look a lot different next year. You know, there could be a lot of movement in terms of guys on the roster and, you know, guys who have been here for, for a while. So it's going to be interesting to watch some of the young guys and see how they produce the rest of the season. So the Red Sox will be traveling to Minnesota uh, for three games against the Twins tonight, Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, then the Red Sox will come back home to host the Texas Rangers for four games. And then they're... Uh, back playing the uh, the division uh, at the beginning of September, Tampa Bay, Baltimore, and the Yankees. So I think that that's probably going to do it for uh, the Red Sox. We're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Bruins. And yes, there is definitely a lot of Bruins stuff to talk about. Uh, Jim Montgomery, I think, has done a couple interviews recently. Uh, there's this great piece in the uh, Boston Globe on Sunday in the Hockey Notes big long article about uh, Montgomery's thoughts for the team this season. So, you know, kind of the, the major news is Montgomery's kind of revealed what the top six is going to look like in terms of the forwards, you know, and the guys that he expects to play with Patrice Bergeron. And I think guys that he's expecting a lot from, uh, Jake DeBrusque, Pavel Zaka, two guys that are most likely going to start this season on the top line. Uh, DeBrusque obviously has experience playing with Bergeron, but you know, Pavel Zaka is a new guy, new to the team, and, you know, he's a guy that I think really high expectation, you know, obviously being a top 10 pick in the draft in 2015, but, you know, I think that he has the ability to be a, uh, a Bruin who, you know, comes in from another team and, you know, really excels and excels playing with a team that, you know, playing with a team that has the ability to put him with you know, a future Hall of Famer and put him with a guy who's the consummate professional in Patrice Bergeron and a guy that always thrives in the details. And I think that it's going to be a good situation for Zaka, and I think it's going to be a great situation uh, for DeBrusque as well. And I think that, you know, seeing Montgomery saying that, okay, you know, it's a big opportunity for these two guys um, and two guys that are kind of on the younger side, you know, both of them 25 years old and I think still trying to find find their groove in the NHL game. So I'm really excited to see what that what that line can do uh, to start the year with Zaka on the left, DeBrusque on the right probably. Um, so really looking forward to seeing how that how that goes. And then obviously it shouldn't surprise anyone that David Krejci will be between 
uh, Taylor Hall, the imposter knock. I mean, I think that that's the best possible thing that they can do. You know, I think really take advantage of having a second line that can be just as dangerous, if not more dangerous than the first line um, in terms of what they can do offensively. So I think that it doesn't surprise me that those are going to be the top two lines. I do think that Uzaka is really going to benefit playing with Bergeron. I think that that second line, I don't think they're going to take too much time to be able to find that chemistry because they're guys that have you know, played together uh, previously. So it's going to be interesting. You know, I do think that there will be guys that probably get opportunities to play maybe on that first line or the second line. But I do think that, you know, come opening night, that's what the first two lines are going to look like. Um, and then the third line will be interesting. You know, I think Charlie Coyle, Craig Smith are penciled in. So, you know, who's on that third Who's on that third line? I do think, though, that once uh, Marshawn returns, he'll most likely get bumped up to the first line and Zaka will get bumped down to the third line to play with Coyle and Smith. But I do think to start the year, you could see Trent Frederick there. You could see Nick Foligno there. You could see Tomas Nosek there. You know, I think that there's a possibility that you could see all three of those guys um, at some point in the early part of the season as the Bruins try to figure out kind of the best combinations. But I do think it's interesting that Montgomery is not tied to any of these guys. You know, he's coming in with a fresh with a fresh set of eyes, fresh perspective. You know, he's not tied to someone like Nick Foligno. You know, he's not tied to someone like a Nosek or even any of the young guys. So I think that it's going to be important for those guys to kind of make an impression early on because if they don't make a good one, you know, they could be out the door. So, you know, who knows? Do the Bruins think that they could move Felino's contract? You know, that's kind of just probably something that maybe we see in the early part of the year, but I think it'll be important for Montgomery to see kind of what he's got um, and throw different guys into the fold. And I do think that there's a tremendous opportunity for some of these young forwards uh, to kind of make some inroads on the third or fourth line. You know, I mentioned Trent Frederick, Jack Stanika, you know, Oscar Steen. He's a guy that could start the year in Boston. You know, it's I'm going to be very curious to see what Stanika looks like um, because I think he's a young player that the Bruins really want to try uh, to get back on track. And I think Montgomery, with his... I think track record of working well with younger players, it could be a big opportunity for Stud to have a good training camp and maybe he even pushes someone out of a job on that fourth line. Um, Trent Frederick is a guy that I think the Bruins are still kind of figuring out what he is exactly and how to best utilize him. So those three guys will be very interesting. And then you even got someone like Mark McLaughlin who played really well in his time with the Bruins last year and you know, Johnny Beecher is coming in for the first time, and he'll be at training camp. So do those two guys push for a roster spot? You know, I do think it's great that the Bruins have a lot of options um, in the bottom six, particularly, um, just to kind of test certain things out. You know, does Frederick work well with Coyle and Smith like they did last year? Or does Jim Montgomery think that Felino works better with them? Or, you know, is he trying to get... Steen and Stadnika and McLaughlin and Beecher. Is he trying to get those guys opportunities? Those will be guys to watch um, in the preseason. I mean, I think all of those young forwards are guys that are going to be looking to make an impact. You know, Fabian Lysel, 
uh, as well. You know, I do think that there's probably less of a chance that he starts the year on the Boston roster, um, and that's why I didn't include him, because I do think that he's going to need some seasoning at the AHL level before he makes the jump. Um, but I do think those five guys, Frederick, Stadnika, McLaughlin, Beecher, and Steen, all five of those guys have a legit opportunity uh, to make the Bruins roster. So it's going to be curious to see what they can do. Um, another thing that Montgomery mentioned um, in the Globe article that the Bruins are going to probably be leaning pretty heavily on uh, Hampus Lindholm in the first couple weeks of the season. So it's going to be interesting to see who do they partner him with. It's probably going to be Brandon Carlo. You know, I think that in the small sample size that the two of them played together last year, it wasn't exactly promising. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. But I do think that Lindholm's a guy that I think is going to need to carry the load. And, you know, really this is the reason why the Bruins got him. You know, not that, like, they could see that McAvoy was going to get hurt. Um, but I think just in the sense giving them another kind of defenseman that can be thrown out in any type of situation, can play 25 to 27 minutes a night, um, and kind of ease the burden of someone like Brandon Carlo or a Connor Clifton or Derek Forbert that, you know, were playing big minutes in the playoffs uh, when Lindholm was not available. So it'll be interesting to see how he does in the early part of the season. We're going to close out Bruins thoughts with uh, some stuff about David Pasternak. Um, I think that there was some, like, interview he did in Czech and, you know, mentioned that he really wants to win and, you know, it doesn't sound like here the Bruins are in any rush to sign a contract. And I think that it could be fair to be a little concerned um, about that, but I also think that you know, this is a Bruins team that oftentimes they do get guys signed during training camp. Pasternak's last contract that he signed in 2017 was signed during training camp. You know, McAvoy, as I've mentioned, he was signed the day before the season opener last year. So I do think that there's time that the Bruins can get something done. I do think, though, if training camp ends and there's nothing there, then you might have to start to worry. Um, but I do think at the end of the day he does sign here because I think he wants to be here, you know, do the Bruins maybe have to convince him a little bit of, you know, this is going to be a contending team even after Bergeron and Krejci are gone. They're probably going to have to do some convincing, you know, but I do think that he wants to be here and, you know, the Bruins need to do everything they can to, to have him sign because he's not, you know, he's really the only high impact forward that you have at the NHL level, you know, in terms of what he can do offensively. I don't really think that You've seen enough from Taylor Hall to tell you that, okay, this guy can be an adequate replacement for David Pasternak um, or Lysel even. You know, we don't know what he looks like at the NHL level. So, you know, Pasternak, I think it's not time to be concerned. I do think that if training camp comes and goes and there's no deal, then you might have to get a little bit concerned. But hopefully uh, by the end of it, he will be signed and will be here in Boston for the next um, you know, for the foreseeable future, eight years or so. Um, so I think that's probably it for um, some quick Bruins thoughts. We're going to move on and talk a little bit about the Celtics, uh, who I think may have uh, dodged a bit of a bullet this week, or this weekend, I should say, as uh, Danilo Gallinari playing for the Italian national team 
um, tore his meniscus. There were some people that were fearing initially that it was a torn ACL, but uh, there were reports that his ACL is stable, but has torn his meniscus. You might remember that uh, Rob Williams tore his meniscus toward the end of the regular season, only ended up really missing about a month of action before he came back. Um, we don't know all the details yet. I don't think we know whether it's like uh, a full-on repair of his meniscus, uh, because I think if that's the case, then he'll probably be out longer, if I remember correctly, from Rob Williams's um, meniscus. But, you know, who knows? Every guy is different, and it could be that the Celtics are without him for a good portion of time. I think that that's a prob probably a fair assessment. So, you know, I think someone like Grant Williams will probably get a lot more looks. You know, Sam Hauser, I think this is a great opportunity for him um, in terms of what he can do in an offensive standpoint that he's been a pretty good, you know, knockdown shooter in some of the minutes that he's had, but I think he still has to prove himself defensively um, at the NBA level. So, you know, those are two guys that I think could benefit from the injury. You know, hopefully Gallinari can come back and, you know, if it's a short, a short recovery, you know, hopefully he's back middle of October, November at some point, you know, I think it's fair to be like, okay, he probably will be out until maybe Thanksgiving. You know, I know that that's a while away, but I do think the Celtics want to be as careful as they can uh, with an injury like this. You know, I think that unfortunately the Celtics were in a position uh, with Rob Williams that they kind of had to get him back into the lineup as the playoffs were happening. But with Gallinari, I really think that they can take their time um, with this injury and hope that, you know, he can come back and be okay, be fully recovered. Um, but I think we're still waiting on some details in terms of, you know, how long he'll be out. You know, as we remember with Rob Williams, I think that if he had opted for a full repair of the meniscus, he would have missed the entire playoffs. Um, but I think there's like a procedure where you can remove the, you know, torn part and you'd be able to come back in a couple weeks, so hopefully that's the case, and I think if that's the case, Gallinari may actually be available uh, for the Celtics when the season starts, but I guess I'm going to be surprised um, if that's the case. Kind of, it might depend a little bit on the injury, on this injury a little bit, but I do think that uh, the Celtics could be um, a team that could use a veteran minimum guy, you know, someone that's an older veteran player, it's been around, and could be kind of a sounding board for some of the young guys, but also someone that could, you know, help them from a production standpoint. You know, I think that Carmelo Anthony's name's been floated out there a little bit, and I think he can still play. But I think the big question with him, though, is how many minutes can the Celtics realistically give him? And I don't think it's going to be very many, so I don't think that that's very realistic. Um, but I do think that they could be in the market for someone like an Andre Iguodala, perhaps, um, or a Dwight Howard, or a Hassan Whiteside, you know, kind of some veteran big men that I think the Celtics do have quite a stable of, you know, big men on the roster, but it's a lot of unproven guys. You know, you think about Kevin Gelly, you think about Cabaclo, you think about Noah Vonley, you know, none of those guys are really proven at the NBA level, and so I think it could be interesting to see as it gets closer to training camp or even during training camp, do the Celtics offer 
you know, something to Hassan Whiteside or Dwight Howard um, or DeMarcus Cousins or maybe an Ed Davis, you know, someone like that. That's a veteran guy that's been around, you know, I would prefer, I would preferably like to have someone that's won a championship. Um, but I think that maybe beggars can't be choosers at this point, but um, I do think that it could be helpful to them if they could get a veteran big or perhaps another, you know, veteran player that might just be good in terms of being a sounding board for some of the young stars and some of the young players. So that'll be kind of curious to watch as we get closer uh, to training camp. Training camp's about a month away. Um, so I think we're going to move on from the Celtics. We're going to go to the Revolution, who uh, suffered a, a really frustrating loss last night to the LA Galaxy. The Revs fell in an early 2 nothing hole in the first 15 minutes. They were able to get a goal back in the 82nd minute, but too little too late for this team. Um, and I think that it's definitely a, it's definitely been a frustrating, or definitely was a frustrating night as the Revolution had a tremendous opportunity to get back into the playoff chase um, and possibly get into the playoff standings if they had won last night. Um, and clearly, you know, this team's kind of running out of time. I think they got seven games left and they're two points out of the playoffs and you know, it's really not a time to be, you know, throwing away points, especially at home. You know, and this is a team that's always been pretty solid at home, especially this season. Um, but, you know, falling in an early hole, you know, the revolution seemed to kind of get some of their legs back in the second half. But, you know, just too many missed opportunities. Carlos Hill did have a fantastic goal in the 82nd minute. But, you know, there, there's got to be more, you know, and this is a team that, unfortunately has not had Gustavo Bo available pretty consistently the, the last couple of months, uh, which is not ideal because this is a team that I think with the loss of Adam Buxa, they really don't have a consistent goal scorer, you know, and a consistent goal scorer that's in the lineup consistently. You know, Dylan Barrero, he's not played in a couple weeks and, you know, the, the Revolution's acquisitions, you know, Giacomo Vironi, we've not seen him very much. Uh, Tajuri Shradi, we've not seen him in any games. You know, the Revolution really need, you know, all the offense that they can get, but it's like, you look at Carlos Hill, you look at Gustavo Bo, clearly is not, you know, 100%. He did play the entire second half last night, but, you know, it's clear that this team is missing, you know, kind of that key, big, you know, striker, you know, someone that can score goals and score goals at big opportunities. You know, it's just like, this is a team, and when you're a team that struggles for offense, you know, two-goal leads seem insurmountable, and maybe they really weren't. You know, the Revolution really got a lot of tremendous opportunities, but, you know, just lacked that finishing touch, and that's, you know, kind of been the story for a lot of this season. You know, the Revolution have, have dropped a lot of points. Um, most of that is because of some defensive issues that have crept up at the end of games, but... You know, this is a team that really struggles to put the ball in the goal, you know, and it's kind of wild that just a year ago, the Revolution were, you know, challenging the, the all-time points total uh, for MLS. And, you know, now we have a team that is struggling to score goals. You know, it's uh, been a pretty frustrating season because it just seems like the goals haven't come. And, you know, this is a team that 
it doesn't feel like they've really been fully fit and fully healthy the entire season. You know, it just seems like there's always something. And some of the, you know, new guys that they brought in in the offseason, you know, Altidore and Legit, they're not playing for the team, you know, which tells you that they clearly didn't fit in. You know, those acquisitions didn't work, you know, and now the Revolution are sitting here hoping that they can get some of their acquisitions back in play before the season ends. You know, this is a, an important homestand. You know, the Revolution have two more home games that they really need points from. They're playing Chicago on Wednesday and then New York City FC on Sunday. You know, and that's going to be a tough matchup. So this is a team that needs to find its scoring touch and they need to find it soon um, because they're running out of time. You know, we're now getting to a point where the Revolution need points in, all, in almost all these games, you know, to keep pace with the rest of the Eastern Conference. You know, they need to get three points. They need to get, you know, one point in any opportunity that they can because, you know, if they don't, they're going to be watching the playoffs from from the couch, you know, which is really kind of crazy to come to terms with considering how good this team was last year. And yes, it's understandable. They've lost a lot of talent, but there still is a lot of talent on this team and the revolution have not been able to put these guys on the field consistently. Um, you look at where they are in the playoffs, you know, two points back of Columbus for that last playoff spot. And there are a bunch of other teams that are closing in on the revolution as well. So, you know, it's really kind of put up or shut up time for this team. Um, because I'll be honest, it'll be very disappointing um, if they can't make the playoffs. And I think that it'll be fair to, to question some of Bruce Arena's decisions um, in terms of lineup decisions throughout the season and, you know, acquisitions that just ended up being terrible. So, you know, this is a team that really needs to put it together. Revolution will uh, face a Chicago Fire team that's 13th place in the Eastern Conference. Um, it is at Gillette, so hopefully the uh, Revolution can kind of figure out how to get it done at home again. So, you know, you got Chicago and then you got New York, a team that I think has kind of always been a thorn in the Revolution side, whether it's in the playoffs last year, having to play at that, you know, embarrassing excuse for a soccer field um, at Yankee Stadium. Good news is the Revolution will be playing at Gillette, so at least they'll be playing on a uh, field that's not uh, fit for 17-year-olds. Uh, so I think we're probably going to move on talk a little bit about some notes from around the other uh, leagues. Maybe we'll get into some college sports too as uh, college football is uh, has started. There are some games this weekend and there are some big games uh, upcoming this this upcoming weekend with kind of the official first week of games. Um, we're going to take a look at some of these games actually. Um, a couple of ranked games on Thursday night, West Virginia. 17th-ranked Pittsburgh, uh, Central Michigan, 12th-ranked Oklahoma State. Um, and then we have some great, fantastic games on Saturday uh, for Week 1. Cincinnati and Arkansas will play each other at 3.30 on Saturday. Cincinnati 23rd, Arkansas 19th. Also at 3.30, 11th-ranked uh, 11th Oregon against 3rd-ranked uh, Georgia. That will be a great game. And then there are is another great game at night. I'm just trying to remember which one it was. Okay, fifth-ranked Notre Dame and second-ranked Ohio State. And then I think Florida State and LSU are playing Sunday night 
Um, then fourth-ranked Clemson opens the season against Georgia Tech on Monday night. So those are some games that will be very interesting, a couple of very high-profile games, um, especially Notre Dame, Ohio State, and uh, Georgia against Oregon. You know, all four of those teams, definite contenders for the college football playoff this season. So now getting back into the professional sports, we'll take a look um, at some NFL updates. Uh, the Jets beat the Giants and the Steelers beat the Lions uh, yesterday in the final preseason games of the NFL season. The NFL season kicks off on Thursday, September 8th. The Bills are traveling to Los Angeles to play the Rams. The Steelers had uh, had to hold their breath a couple of times as uh, Deontay, jo Deontay Johnson and TJ Watt left yesterday's games with injuries, but they don't appear to be serious. Um, as Mike Tomlin seemed to be convinced that they were going to be fine. Um, Trey Flowers uh, finally was signed. The Dolphins giving him a one-year deal. Um, and Sam Darnold has a significant ankle sprain and will probably be landing on IR. So, you know, opens the door for Baker Mayfield to be the starter in uh, Carolina. We'll take a look at some... Um, week one games next week as we are, you know, still in that kind of weird spot of, you know, very excited for the NFL to start, but we're still, you know, kind of a ways away from that as we're about two weeks from the uh, first Sunday of the regular season. Now taking a look at uh, some baseball, uh, Justin Verlander exited his start yesterday after just three innings. Um, and we'll take a look at some of the standing, or we'll take a look at the standings in Major League Baseball as we're approaching the final month of the season. The Yankees are still in first place in the American League East, a seven and a half game lead over Tampa Bay. The Yankees sit at 78 and 50. In the American League Central, Cleveland with a two game lead over Minnesota. Cleveland is 67 and 59. And then in the American League West, Houston with a uh, huge lead over the Seattle Mariners, 11 and a half games for the lead in the West. In the National League, the Mets are still atop the National League East, three-game lead over the Braves. The Cardinals with a six-game lead over the Brewers for first in the Central. And then the Dodgers are just blowing everyone away, 19 and a half games ahead of the second-place Padres. The Dodgers are 88 and 38. Yeah, that schedule or that that record looks like a misprint, but I tell you that it is not. They are just uh, beat everyone in the American League wild card. You have Tampa Bay, Seattle, and Toronto occupying the three spots, with Baltimore a game and a half back, and Minnesota three games back. In the National League, the Braves and the Phillies. And the Padres lead those three positions. Milwaukee is just a game and a half back for uh, that final wild card spot. Now we're going to go move to the NHL, take a look at some updates. A couple of free agents signed. Uh, Paul Stastny signing with the Hurricanes and Phil Kessel getting a one-year deal with the Vegas Golden Knights. So both of those guys, curious to see how they do with their new teams. Uh, Blue Jacket center Alexandre Texier is expected to miss the entire season. Uh, Trevor Zegras and uh, Sarah Nurse are on the cover of NHL 23. It was a pretty cool announcement. 
Uh, Zebers is a guy that uh, very excited to see him on the cover. Yeah, perhaps one of the, if not the most marketable guy um, in the NHL. So that was pretty exciting to see for uh, the NHL. Um, it is probably it is probable that uh, Logan Thompson will be the number one goalie for Vegas this season, um, as they are still dealing with Robin Leonard being out for the season. Um, so now we're going to take a look at some NBA notes. Uh, it was announced just this morning that the Nets are close to uh, coming to terms with Markeith Morris on the one-year deal. So that's another guy, you know, vet minimum. Kind of was uh, hoping the Celtics would take a look at someone like Markeith Morris. But, you know, there'll probably be other guys that they can look at. Um, Gary Harris for the Magic um, has torn his meniscus, so his return is unsure. Uh, Chet Holmgren, unfortunately, will miss the entire season with a foot injury. So that was really tough to hear. I was really excited to see what he could do this season. Um, you know, NBA training camps were still probably about a month or so away, um, but definitely a tough blow for the Thunder. So I think it's probably going to do it for me this week. Uh, very, very excited to bring you guys the guest Friday uh, later this week. So definitely uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. And, uh, we will be talking to you next week as we are finally approaching uh, Patriots and uh, NFL seasons. I'm really excited for that. Um, as always, you can uh, follow the social pages on Twitter and on Facebook for the latest updates. And you can always listen on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All right, everyone, have a good rest of your week. And we'll talk to you on Friday.